for tuning in to Charlottesville Soundboard. I'm your host, Mary Garner McGee. Soundboard airs every other Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM and also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Virginia Audio Collective. If you love the Charlottesville art scene and want to get more involved, this episode is for you. We'll hear about making art and also destroying it. First up, we talk with Sri Kotakala and Ramona Martinez from the Feminist Union of Seville Creatives. And in the second half, we catch up with Dana Wheelis of Deerhawk Healing. I'm going to hand things over to Sarah Howarth for her interview with Sri Kotakala and Ramona Martinez about their quarterly radical art scene, Mala Leche. My name is Ramona Martinez, and I am an artist, a writer, and arts organizer. My name is Sri Kotakala, and I also consider myself an artist, writer, and arts organizer. And both Ramona and I currently co-direct the Feminist Union of Charlottesville Creatives, affectionately known as FAC. Can you tell the listeners just a little bit about the radical zine? Mala Leche is a quarterly radical art zine that publishes the art and writing of women, non-binary, and genderqueer creatives in the Central Virginia area. And the first issue came out in December of 2020, and it was conceived as a way to be able to continue to make work, even in isolation, and also as a way of supporting emerging artists and writers to share their work with sort of an established organization like FUCK and and sort of like piggyback on the cultural cachet that we've built up over the last few years to introduce our communities to up-and-coming artists. The one other thing I'll add too is that we've definitely grown since we started Mala Leche and we're now going to be offering a series of workshops on printmaking and writing that will be very low cost to anyone who wants to learn how to do those things and maybe learn new skills to submit to Mala Leche issues in the future. Yeah. And I also wanted to throw in that Malaleche has been kind of like a labor of love for Ramona and I for the longest time. And one of the big things is that we had brought it up through our organization, the Feminist Union of Charlottesville Creatives, because we really, one, wanted to tap into the network of artists, writers, like creatives in general that we had been working with for a long time already. We had been working with them through exhibitions, and now we wanted to bring them into this publication. And one of the cool things is that right now, or at least in the past year, we've started to become a program of the Bridge Progressive Arts Initiative and receive a fiscal sponsorship from them that allows us to apply for grants and kind of like envision a bigger future for what the publication could be. And one of those things is the the workshop series that we're starting. How did you decide on a name for the fourth installation of the zine? And would you mind describing the theme's importance a little bit? Malaleche 4 doesn't have a title. It actually is just Malaleche 4. And the reasoning is because this issue is very different from our last two issues. It is themeless and it is a grab bag issue, which includes a lot of submissions that we received for Malaleche 2 and Malaleche 3 that didn't make it into those issues because our curators didn't select them because they didn't fit the theme in the perfect way or didn't follow like the curation narrative that they had sought out to put together. But they were submissions that both Ramona and I felt really drawn to and kind of put in our save for later pile. And this was the perfect moment to pull them out and kind of create an issue that 
doesn't have a clear narrative, but is just an amalgam of different voices. But that being said, we sort of amazingly, unexpectedly discovered that motherhood was sort of an unexpected theme of this issue. And that really was a throwback for us to the first issue, as it was sort of like a theme there. And we really were so happy to discover that because Sri and I, neither of us are mothers, but we are constantly trying to create and birth new things to put out in the world. And we feel like we're sort of like art doulas and we like facilitate the gestation and birth of other people's work and try to give it a home in Malaleche. And yeah, I mean, just the idea of putting out something that is fertile and can give people almost like art nutrition or like art food to like feed them in this time, like where there seems to be like so much destruction and lack like presenting a publication of people's art babies i guess for lack of a better word it's really powerful and i i just love that we're able to be like a shepherd for that kind of work in the world and regardless of whatever the gender of the artist in the zine i think we're all doing some kind of motherhood in a way so because it was kind of like a grab bag issue, was there a piece that particularly stood out to you in this Mala Leche? And why did it feel so special to you? For me, it's On the Road by Rosina Snow. So I think that work was submitted for Mala Leche 3. I remember when I first read that piece and it stuck with me and kind of lingered, mostly because it was such an ambient or atmospheric work. It kind of brought us into the introduction of some key characters or key players in the story, but kind of like set set up so much like exposition around it. It felt very spiritual. It felt very dreamlike. It felt like it ebbed and flowed between like nostalgic moments and kind of like caught me by surprise. And it was just a submission that or a kind of writing that we hadn't received before from Alaleche. And I think that's what made me most excited about it. I agree. It was my definite favorite as well, just because I think it really captured the sense of what we try to achieve with the zine, which is imagining a new future without saying it so obviously. It was like, it just did such a beautiful job of show, not tell. And it's a story that takes place in the future. And the narrator like explains to us that public transportation has become so good that you can travel by boat along all the rivers anywhere in the country or like trains anywhere in the country. And there's so much food because everyone grows their own food. They leave it by the side of the road for people to take. And it just is like so daring in the sense that it dares to imagine what possibly our world could be like without it being preachy or overworked. It was just like really beautiful and inspiring for me for that reason. I was wondering, what's a change since the first edition of Mala Leche that you've both been really proud of? Many things. I feel like there's so many things that have kind of shifted between our first issue and now our impending fifth one. One of the like key things being we received a grant from the Charlottesville Area Community Foundation. One of the things that this has allowed us to do is to be able to pay larger artists stipends or contributor stipends for participating in Malaleche. So before we were compensating contributors with a $50 stipend for their work being selected to be in the issue, and now we have the ability to pay artists $100. 
And that's kind of a game changer for us because that is where we wanted to be when we first started this, our first issue. We came into it knowing where we wanted to set valuing artists' works. And we knew that we didn't have the ability to do that then. And now we do. And I feel like it's such a big accomplishment to be able to do that. There's a lot of things, I think, aesthetically that have changed for us in terms of creating Malaleche too, because our first issue was very cut and paste. It was created on Azarac's machine. We like really did hand printmaking for stuff in the zine. But as we've kind of refined our design process, a lot of what we do now happens like in layout and graphic design on our computers. And it's kind of led to a very like clean aesthetic for the way that the zine looks. And part of our future or like future hopes for Malaleche is to kind of like give the maybe the style of the way the zine looks to also our like guest curators to have an idea to like kind of like envision a different way for it to look. And I kind of love that we've shifted, but we've only just started or only just begun. So we have so much more like course correcting to do as we continue to grow. The only thing I would add is it's not what Sarah asked because it's it's what are we most proud of, but I just also want to say that Sri and I definitely have hopes to get the zine into more communities, physical copies beyond Charlottesville. We have some in Crozet, we think. We'd love to get more copies in like Harrisonburg, Barbersville, other places where our contributors live, just so that more people can see it and maybe want to contribute as well. I think Malaleche can really take people by surprise. And like, if you haven't heard of it and you happen to come across an issue and read it, I think people are like, what is this? Who are these people? And it's less weird in Charlottesville, I think, than it might be in some other places. But I really think that if it came to the right person, like some 15 year old who feels like super misunderstood, it could be potentially life changing. So Sri and I definitely want to get out issues in the area as much as possible. Can you both tell me just a little bit more about the Feminist Union of Charlottesville Creatives and how can interested women, non-binary and genderqueer artists get involved? That's a great question. So right now we've been shifting our Local goals of our organization and like how we approach kind of connecting with the audience that we really want to tap into. And some of that has been through realizing that Malaleche is such a big part of what we do as fuck. And so some of the big things that we're trying to shift toward is bringing in guest curators for our Malaleche issues so that they invite different communities of artists to be interested in participating. And The best ways to participate are through like applying to calls for submissions, which are always up on our website. We're going to be having calls for exhibitions and like annually. And we look forward to people applying for that. But we do have a newsletter that's going to be starting very soon. And we have an ability to sign up on our website. So you can sign up for our newsletter and stay tuned on what we're up to. We haven't quite jump started into doing events yet. Our workshop series will be the first of that in terms of since like working through the pandemic and kind of figuring out what our best plan of action is for connecting our community. And so I think the best way to get like physically engaged would be to come out to our future workshop series. And the only other thing I would add in terms of how to support would be to just 
like if you see a copy of the zine to take it and give it to somebody else like read it yourself and then pass it on i think that getting it in your hands and being able to spend time with it does something pretty magical so i would say if you like what we're doing definitely try to share it with someone else absolutely if you want to fiscally support us you can donate to the feminist union of charlottesville creatives through our website and donate to specific facets of what we do, whether that's the Malaveche publication, because there's a lot of work that kind of goes into supporting, paying for our contributors, the production process, like running our website, all of the organization of workshop events. And if it's something you want to continue seeing and you have the money to be able to put towards supporting it, please do. Can you both explain a little bit about the next theme of Mala Leche that you're asking for a call for submissions for right now? And what does embodiment kind of mean to you both? So our guest curator for Mala Leche number five is Jess Walters, who is a local artist and activist. And she has come up with embodiment for the theme. And embodiment is a really important theme to her work because she is a deaf activist and also does a lot of work with regards to her body because she used to be a figure drawing model. She once famously modeled for a figure drawing session while undergoing dialysis. So she has an incredible connection to this theme, an incredibly personal connection to this theme. And so she's asking our contributors, what does it mean to be embodied? What does it mean to be somatically attuned? If we were to dive beneath our skin, these are her words, penetrating through layers of social conditioning, what somatic wildness would we find within ourselves? We've had such incredible response already on social media to this theme. It's something that really excites people. And I think that now that we are able to offer our artists more money, I think that this issue is just gonna be like, I think you're right, Sarah. I think we're going to need like a lot of time to go through all of the great submissions we're going to get because I think it's going to be pretty damn fantastic. I feel like this theme is particularly interesting because it's it's a topic that hasn't been touched on in any of our previous issues. It is also open enough that it kind of allows for like creatives to explore different facets of it that feel relevant to them. This idea of talking about the body as a physical self or like as a physical entity, and then also thinking about like what the body houses and the spiritual connections that you have to yourself as outside of your body. And like, I think the interesting part for me is that embodiment, I don't associate it with my physical body. And it isn't the immediate thing that comes to me when I read that prompt. A big part of it for me is very much so associated with like how I explore my consciousness and how I allow my consciousness to exist and kind of explore the different facets of my, for lack of a better word, my soul or like the the components of the self that is within that I try and pull out. And so how do I embody my best self or honor every single part of myself in existence? So embodied is to be fully present, to be fully engaged, to bring every single facet of yourself out. That's so well put. And so one last thing, how can artists submit work for the next edition of the zine? So we've actually already started to receive submissions, which is awesome. So if you're interested in applying to our next issue, Malaleche 5, Embodiment, Secrets Under Our Skin, you can find out more about the call for submissions on our website, 
heyfuck.com, H-E-Y-F-E-C-C.com. And the call for submissions is for Malaleji 5, which is currently accepting prose, poetry, short stories, and visual art that can be drawings or prints. But we want kind of work that you feel like could fit in a small print zine. And the issue will be in black and white. So kind of take that into consideration when you're submitting work. And all of our submissions are due by email. Really simply, just send us an email to the email address that's on the call for submissions page. And submissions are due by April 29th at 11.59 p.m. I'm not going to check my email at that time. So if some things trickle in in the middle of the night, you're good. (laughs) But our call for submissions is currently open for the next month, and it requires a $5 donation for a complete submission. And you can submit up to three works of art for consideration. And one of the things that I really, really want to stress and mention is that if your work isn't selected for this issue of Mala Leche, we keep these submissions around. Like we save them for later for future issues because a big part of the way that we kind of read through submissions is thinking about the narrative or the story that an issue is trying to tell. And sometimes a submission might not fit the current narrative, but it doesn't mean it won't fit future narratives. And our issue, Mala Leche 4, is a perfect example of that, of submissions that were so strong, but they just didn't have their place in previous issues. And so I just want to encourage that, like, even if you don't think it fits the theme perfectly, apply anyway. If you'd like to participate in the call for submissions, don't forget to visit www.heyfucc.com. You're listening to Charlottesville Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Virginia Audio Collective. Both are a service of the University of Virginia. However, opinions expressed on this show are not the positions of the university. WTJU is supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center, protecting Virginia's air, water, and natural treasures, and leading the way towards a healthy environment for all. Learn more at southernenvironment.org. All right, let's keep the art talk flowing with Dana Wheelis of Deer Hawk Healing. I'm Dana Wheelis. I'm an artist, an illustrator, and a life coach here in Central Virginia. This is kind of a big question, but what do you think about the relationship between art and healing? How can someone kind of meld these two processes into one? So I would say that the place I started myself was with the mandala. The sacred geometry, you know, these, these amazing, complicated circles that come from Buddhist iconography. First of all, it's a very soothing process to make one. You have to be very focused. You're very anchored in your experience of the moment because you're paying attention to what you're making. So if you deal with a busy brain or anxiety, the making of a mandala can be a very meditative and healing process. In the Buddhist tradition, there's the process of making a mandala out of sand over the course of a week and then destroying it, thus highlighting that it was the process of creating the thing that was more important than the thing itself. And I think that's true about art. It's true about healing, right? It's all about our process. Like we can work on our patterns and work on our issues and know that we have emotional roadblocks that we're going to hit up against, but it isn't about getting to this place where we're fixed and then life starts and then we can enjoy and we can be the person that we think we need to be. It's about the revelations that you have day to day, that one journal entry or that one conversation or that one moment by the river. That is the process. 
for me, it's about the making of the art. It's about the sharing of the art. So how do you think people can incorporate art and healing into their lives in a way that doesn't seem so daunting to start? The first thing I tell anyone who asks me that is go out and make some really bad art. We have this idea that if you're going to sit down and make a space for making art or you're going to buy supplies for making art, that what you make needs to be a good product at the end. And I'm here to tell you, no, make some really bad art, make some laughably bad art, give yourself permission to just make scribbles or give yourself permission to watch a YouTube video and and mimic somebody else. But also sort of just like that, the sand mandala that the Buddhists make, be willing to burn it, throw it away, trash it, because it's really just about the process of putting pen to paper, brush to canvas, however you want to make things. One of my favorite exercises for people who are stuck in creative ruts is I have them go out and meditate in a particular place in nature to spend some time there, not with eyes closed, but with eyes open, just taking it in and then have a notebook with you. And then at a certain point, just set a timer and give yourself like five minutes to sketch what you saw. That's a way of realizing how much you notice and don't notice because the moment you have to like start recreating it on paper, it doesn't matter how quote unquote good you are as an artist. It's teaching you to notice the world in a way that's different, that isn't motivated by what it can do for you or what you need to do for it. It's about being and understanding and placing yourself. So that's one of my favorite exercises. Go out in nature, experience the space for a moment, and then try to draw it and see what happens. Can you tell me about your personal art? And if you could describe it, how would you? At the risk of being very, very me, I'm going to start with an astrological term. I'm just going to say I am a Gemini and I look like a Gemini. Like I make mandalas. I paint birds. I paint a ton of birds. I paint in watercolor. I paint in acrylics. Sometimes I do these giant abstracts with mixed media and fabric and gold and all this stuff. I go where the muse takes me and I kind of never know what's going to happen. And sometimes I just know that there's something I want to paint and then it tells me when it's done. And I am just learning to live a life where I have space for that and that's okay by me, that I really don't know what's going to happen next. But I think the thread through all of the stuff that I've done is that it needs to be soothing or healing in some way, right? It needs to be something that Either it's a mandala and it grabs your gaze and asks you to look into the intricacies more closely, or it's an abstract that's meant to allow your mind to rest. There's some blankness in it, or there's a fluidity to it that you can sit with and inhabit. But all of that sounds really grandiose because I also paint watercolors of really weird birds. I have a whole book dedicated to the world's most doofy birds, and that is healing more from a place of radical acceptance. If a turkey can have a chin waddle and like all these weird things going on, then the world needs you too, right? With whatever's going on with you. I was wondering about your upcoming exhibition at Firefly. Is there a theme or something you're particularly focusing on? Or like we talked about before, is it just what you felt at the moment? So at Firefly, part of what I took into consideration is the materials that will be hung on, like the space. And I felt like my landscapes and abstracts would be best suited to the space. So I chose a bunch of mostly landscapes and some of which come from the magical journey. So they'll have that vibe. It's really more of the soothing, calming, cooling work that I do. 
of fading days there, which is this beautiful sort of summer twilight with the blaze of the sunset on the horizon. When can people view your exhibit and is there an opening event of some sort? Yes. So the paintings are hanging now. So if you want to go to Firefly, go get a drink or get something to eat, my paintings are hanging over by the bar and they'll be up for another month. If people want to hear more podcast material from you, they can also check out your own podcast with WTJU called Ask a Wayfinder. What subjects do you tend to cover on there? Ask a Wayfinder is a meditation and advice podcast. So the way it works is I take letters from people, questions about things that are going on in their lives, entrenched issues they're just wanting some clarity on. And each episode, I answer that question to the best of my ability, usually not giving advice, but more offering ideas about ways you can explore that further and what I've experienced and what I've seen and how we can move past whatever's come up. And then at the end, there is a customized guided meditation. Every episode, the last 10 minutes or so, is a meditation that I've put together that for the letter writer or anyone listening who's struggling with, say, perfectionism or setting boundaries with family members, it's a meditation that they can try and see if it helps bring clarity in their own life. There are two seasons available, and those are evergreen. Anyone can listen at any time. Do you have maybe a favorite episode to direct people to? Yes, I have an episode that has to do with saying no, the art of saying no. And that is the one that has gotten the most reception. I've gotten the most feedback. It seems like last time I checked, it had gotten the most hits that people were listening. And the meditation portion separated out from it is also available on Insight Timer. And that is by far my most popular meditation. It seems like the world is really craving a sort of peaceful and resourced way of setting boundaries and feeling comfortable articulating those boundaries to the people in your life. Are you currently working on any upcoming projects that people should keep an eye out for? So in the middle of May, I'll be having another exhibit at the Shenandoah Valley Art Center, which is over in Waynesboro. And so my second book, Your Guide to the World's Most Doofy Birds, will be on offer. All the originals, all those amazing 26 weird birds that you've maybe never seen before, they'll be hanging in the upstairs gallery at Shenandoah Valley Art Center. And May 14th, we'll be having an opening. So bird lovers, nature lovers, if you're out across the mountain, I'd love to have you there. I'd love to see you. I really want to see what birds you discovered. Is it like ones that you had heard of previously or did you have to do some research to find them? So like the animal of all animals that I just love with my whole heart is the shoebill stork. So if anybody can picture a shoebill stork, it is between four and a half feet and five and a half feet tall. So it's a person sized bird. They live in Africa and they're called shoebills because they have this enormous bill, this enormous beak. They are dinosaurs. They remind you that, oh yes, birds are dinosaurs. They are simultaneously terrifying and hilariously goofy. And I love them dearly. And so my first doofy bird was the shoebill because I love them. And then it just took off from there. Like I I posted to Facebook, hey y'all look at this doofy bird. And then people were like, do this, do that, do this, do that. And so even today, like the book is done. I had to like call it at a certain point to publish it. I still get recommendations of some amazingly weird birds that like 
exist and we need to take care of them and we need to love them. It started with the shoebill stork and then it just became this cascade of bizarre animal life that will probably never end for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's so great. Well, maybe you can make more parts in the future because it sounds like you'll have people backing you with an endless stream of bird ideas, which is awesome. I mean, heck, I could still do a whole book dedicated to the stork family. So yeah, stay tuned for more doofy birds. <laughs> do you have anything to add for listeners before we wrap up? I'll just finish with how I finish every Ask a Wayfinder podcast, which is be kind to yourselves, y'all. You deserve it. Once again, you can visit Dana's art exhibit at Firefly. Pop in to take a cleansing breath and ground yourself. Her illustrations can also be seen in her 2020 book titled The Magical Journey, A Tale of Beauty Lost and Found. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Charlottesville Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. My name's Mary Garner McGee. Our producer is Sarah Howarth. Our theme song is Kyoja Beat by Moreno Lasco and Jay Pun. This is Charlottesville Soundboard. 